Hello and welcome to BetQL Daily, presented by BetMGM, Eddie Gross, Joe Ostrowski, Aaron Hawksworth here with you from 9 to noon Eastern on the BetQL Network. Listen to the show on the Odyssey app, watch the show on twitch.tv slash BetQL and YouTube, and follow us on X at BetQL Daily. Joining us on the program today, Jimmy Patsos shares his favorite college hoops plays on this happy hump day to go with a potential future or two, perhaps. And then at 11 o'clock Eastern time, Joe Osborne doles out his favorite plays for Wild Card Weekend. And we will, of course, get to college basketball as number one and number two both go down last night. But first, NFL coaches across America should cower when the clock strikes noon Eastern time when BetQL Daily has ended its broadcast day because that's when major news breaks, folks. And in a way, it happened yesterday. Again, the Titans fired head coach Mike Vrabel. And while the first four seasons may be deemed a success, he did finish 2022 with seven straight losses, opening the door for the Jaguars to win the division. And then this year, they went 6-11. and 11. So, Joe, what are your thoughts about this move? Yeah, big surprise. Oh, we're trending down as an organization. Oh, I don't know. You traded away your best player. Oh, by the way, you still haven't found a quarterback for this coach that's been very successful with your organization, and most coaches would not even come close to the same record. Um, shocking? No, not shocking, actually. I, I felt like that was the reaction throughout much of the league yesterday because we kept going back to this. We, we expected some sort of a change with the Titans, even uh, on the outside looking in, we could read the tea leaves there. Uh, was it the right decision? That's an entirely different conversation. Now, what was obviously pretty telling as uh, as the Titans were trying to save face yesterday is just like when you look at the release from ownership and, and they put out a statement and in it says, as the NFL continues to innovate and evolve, I believe <laughs> the best teams pos- best positioned for sustained success will be those who empower an aligned and collaborative team across all football functions. So they're saying that Brable didn't want to take part in that. He didn't want to be aligned with us. And they've said that they've changed their way of thinking and they're going this direction. And Brable was not on board. And we remember he was not on board when they traded A.J. Brown, how upset he was. And he should have been. So uh, a, a mistake uh, I, I don't think there's any doubt about it. Six years ago, they hit a home run when they landed on him as the head coach. And we can go over the why we believe Vrabel, at least I believe that why Vrabel is uh, one of the very good coaches in this league. But um, I, I think they're going to regret yesterday. I think so, too. And it just goes to show like this could be we were talking about bad ownership, you know, who makes mistakes. Maybe that's what's happening here, because the players like Taylor Lewin was on Rich Eisen show live when the news (laughs) broke and he was shocked. Derrick Henry was shocked. Like there's a lot of blame to go around. And I don't think a lot of the players felt like Vrabel should have fell on the sword for all of this. And I don't. I don't agree with it. I think it's a big mistake as well, but it just goes to show whatever happened behind closed doors, Vrabel and the front office were butting heads. And at the end of the day, like they were, it sounds like it was an ownership front office decision where they probably didn't even talk to players or care what they think. They're just going to do whatever they want here. Perhaps this is where I have this unique perspective uh, compared with, say, you guys. But as someone who sort of charts analytics departments across the league and sees who's going where and all of that stuff, and certainly other folks are doing it in uh, greater detail than I am, at the same time, the Titans were one of the uh, perhaps least 
analytically driven franchises in the NFL. And while Mm -hmm. Mike Vrabel was still able to find success that way, ultimately Tennessee felt like they needed to go in a different direction. And this is a recent phenomenon. I'd argue like the last year, year and a half, something like that. And Vrabel is still there. And the question is, could he adjust to those things? And it harkens back to this point, Aaron, you're making that if the head coach and the front office are not on the same page as far as what the overall direction should be, then the head coach is probably going to get fired. And I think the bigger mistake more than anything else, other than the, the lack of uh, you know congruence, is the fact that Diana Rossini tweeted out that the Titans believe trading Vrabel was too complicated and would take too long per sources they wanted to move on quickly they said Vrabel never asked ownership for a trade or asked out of Tennessee you could have gotten value because the street cred for Vrabel is mighty mighty good but oh it's too complicated we don't know how to do this that is a bad look Joe yeah, so I'm not going to defend that organization. That's idiotic. Like, you could have gotten a draft pick, a pretty high draft pick for him easily. And uh, did I miss it? Have there been any hirings in the league? Have we had any press conference with new head coaches? We have openings and only more openings popping up, and now is the time to strike. And they're like, yeah, that sounds like a lot of work. We just know that we don't want this guy. All right, if that's your approach and you're saying he's not aligned with you, you want, you want to go somewhere else, find me the upgrade. That's going to be difficult to do. You're going to find someone that's going to be better. I mean, look at it. What, what do you want? So, okay, they want someone that's more analytic driven. Okay, fine. Cool. Um, but don't tell me that the last two years have been so difficult because then you're, you're calling him out for the record, which isn't his fault. I don't put it on him. Oh, I don't know. We can get into the guy dealing with the personnel, we can go to there. And how about the quarterbacks that you apparently keep on missing on again mm-hmm. and again? I mean, what he's done with the with Tannehill and Mariota and a little bit of Willis, a little bit of Dobbs, a little bit of Levitt, like it, it's a little bit of Monica. Outperf- yeah. He's outperformed. He's beaten expectations again and again. So don't throw the win-loss record at me over the last two years because, okay, so we're a betting show. We always bring up Vrabel as an underdog. Why? Because when he's not expected to win, he coaches his team up, and he actually has a winning record. I mean, what more do you want here? Yeah, I agree. And this has been a very good team, ATS. I expected them to be better in the second half of the season, but I'm with you. I don't think it was Vrabel's fault, and I hope wherever he lands that he does have a better roster to work with because I'm not worried, and I think there's a lot of teams that will be lining up to grab him. One quick question before we move on to college hoops here, because I look at the Titans playoff run under Mike Vrabel, and I I felt like for the most part, it left a little something to be desired. And I know this is something that Ben Baldwin uh, put out on X, and it's something I want to ask you guys. How much stock should we take into the fact that in 2020, it was one and done against the Ravens, and then 2021, he was the top seed and lost in that first game? Because if there is an obvious ceiling to your head coach or to your team in general, you get to the playoffs, you get a good seat, et cetera, et cetera, and you can't do anything when you're there, 
how much should that matter? Because as a batter, I look at that and go, okay, if everything breaks your way and you still can't make a playoff run, then what happens when everything doesn't break your way? Yeah, individual games, maybe you're good ATS or you can get that outright upset every now and again. But if you're placing futures bets to win the division, things like that, doesn't getting to the playoffs kind of inflate what your overall value might be? Are we willing to state that? I mean, do you think that's real? That he oh, he's a guy, get to the playoffs, yes, that's the accomplishment, and that's the ceiling? I don't think it is. You you think it is? Okay. No, I'm asking. It might be. Yeah, yeah. No, it's fair. I mean, I, I think it might be. I think with him, you know, defensively, I think he's a great coach. He certainly elevates the talent he's been given. And look, talent with, with that defense and the Titans, not very good. Ryan Tannehill certainly got better under Vrabel's tutelage or under that regime. Uh, mm-hmm. But I do think, though, there is probably as good as it gets and that kind of feel there. So in a sense, I, I might say yes, that you can get to the playoffs, but I don't know how much more damage you can do under Vrabel without having just a ridiculous amount of talent. And maybe him being in a different organization, I'd like to see what that would look like. But in that current marriage, it wasn't going to get any better, I don't think. Right, right. I agree there, but is that on Vrabel? Um, how the team is built, you're right. Are you built to make a deep run? They might be doing him well, a favor. You don't have the you don't have the good quarterback play. So how yeah. many coaches mm-hmm. are gonna lead you on a deep playoff run without that top level quarterback play? And he did bring his team to an AFC championship game. Like mm-hmm. the the general manager is the one that built everything around Eric Henry. And then you trade away A.J. Brown. Like, what exactly mm-hmm. were you expecting? So, I mean, that's the problem I have. And, look, I, I, if we went over the teams right now that would upgrade at head coach if they went to Vrabel, I think we would have a very long list. And maybe we'd be firing some coaches today that are <laughs> not on the hot seat or that we brought up, like, maybe another year. I don't know. I think there are a bunch of cases. And I'm thinking about the big names that are available right now. Harbaugh, it will be Belichick. I might take Vrabel over both. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Do we think uh, Vrabel to Patriots? Is that the next move now? I mean, I think that seems pretty, like obvious. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. odds on favorite, I guess. I I would think cool. so. But what what does he want? I don't know what he wants. Like maybe he wants a real quarterback because there's a job out west that has a real quarterback. So, mm-hmm. and then he can build up the rest of that defense. Right. Like, Harbaugh like give them, to you Chargers. Know. <laughs> Patriots still will have a good draft pick or they could move up. Boy. But, yeah. I mean, okay. as messed up as. With some experience, not a rookie. As messed up as the Chargers group. are, they're going to have their choice, man. Right? Mm-hmm. Just because, oh, yeah. of, just because of Herbert. Like, exactly. that's the most enticing gig. Right. No doubt about it. Okay, let's move on now to college basketball because number one, Purdue loses outright to Nebraska, 88 to 72. Number two, Houston, the last unbeaten team in college basketball, loses to Iowa State, 57 to 53. My question to you, Joe, are we due for a wild and wacky season of college basketball based upon these two data points? Home dogs like we're starting to see the sample size where even the top teams are starting to play true road games not these neutral site stuff um true road games and they are struggling like yesterday when i was looking at that houston number like two and a half 
really? And then you start to look at the game like, okay, yeah, Iowa State, they, they could match up with them. They have a strong defense as well. And then, the yeah, at that number, like that's what really jumped out to me. So I didn't find that one's shocking. Purdue, shocking on the road. Big Ten conference, no, nah, not really. I mean, I, they were not expected to to lose that one. But also, when you throw into it, what happened? Well, Nebraska made 61% of their threes. <laughs> I mean, that's what happened. You're going to see that in college basketball. Conference game, team going down the road, the home team makes 61%. They're probably going to end up winning that game, Aaron. Yeah, as the uh, biggest Purdue backer on the show, it is not surprising. I do think it will be a good bit if I just continue to back Purdue. I was literally going to text you guys, go Purdue, and then I stopped myself, and I'm like, I even thought about it, and I still mushed them. But yeah, good teams are going to lose, but this is twice now that Purdue has lost to, what, an unranked team? So this is not good, Uh, but it's also not surprising, right? A Matt Painter team doing this. So I don't know. I'm not that shocked by it. Yeah, they're not going to go undefeated. Um, I don't know. I So you're not close to flipping on them. You still believe in them or is it just a bit? Oh, it's just a bit. Okay. It's, I mean, just, I okay, feel like it would because... be weird if I jump ship. I got to support them again this year. I think this. Uh, I think you're implying that this is like Minority Report Joe. here in the uh, text exchange, where the thought police are coming in, and if you think about committing a crime, then all of a sudden you're guilty of it, and you thought about mushing Purdue, you wound wound up doing it, and now here we are uh, with Nebraska just shooting the lights out of the basketball. First win over a top ranked team since 1982. That's a little bit of a while. Uh, you know, also too. You know, when we're talking about Houston, the Cyclones just went three of 15 from three point range. I know. And they still won that game. Like, Houston with this elite defense, and it's something we're going to talk about later on in the show. If they are, you know, confining a team to that poor of a three point shooting percentage, but they just don't have enough shooters out there on the floor, then Mm -hmm. don't they look a little fraudulent, especially with like the non conference strength of schedule that they had? Uh-huh. Yeah, we'll have that conversation with our college basketball reset later on in the show, but I certainly think so. Now it was their first loss of the year. So you want yes. you want to take that into account. But see, isn't this the reason futures wise we don't like to back Houston? We can talk them up and the metrics are just so darn sexy and but they're gonna have these games where they score fifty three points. So that's tough. That's tough to do that game after game um in the tournament. You can do that six times in a row, you're gonna win every game. When you're scoring that little, that's the challenging part. Exactly. No kidding. This is BetQL Daily presented by BetMGM. Coming up next, our NFL power rankings for the biggest impact players who aren't quarterbacks for Wild Card Weekend. That's coming up on the BetQL Network. We'll be right back with BetQL Daily, presented by BetMGM on the BetQL Network. Prescott can't find anyone. Retreats. Point says go right there. Caught. Lamb again. This is BetQL Daily, presented by BetMGM from BetQL. 
Could CeeDee Lamb be the most impactful non-quarterback for the Super Wild Card Weekend? Welcome back to BetQL Daily, presented by BetMGM. Eddie Gross, Joe Ostrowski, Aaron Hawksworth here with you. And it is Wednesday, and that means it's time for our power rankings. And for this week, we are looking at only wildcard participants, and we're looking at players who are not quarterbacks who could have the biggest impact, the best players, if you will. So, Aaron, how about you give us our top five, uh, your top five, as far as non-quarterbacks who will have the biggest impact this weekend? All right. Are we starting at one or five? I say five. Five? Okay. All right. So this is a tough matchup. You got a rookie quarterback going up against uh, the best defense in the NFL. (laughs) But the Tank Dell injury really opened things up for my guy, Nico Collins. (laughs) And if the Texans are going to have a chance in this game... CJ Stroud and Nico Collins, that connection is going to have to be phenomenal. And Stroud has put up some good yards against some good defenses. Case in point, first game of the NFL season, they played the Ravens. His very first NFL game, and he still put up 242 yards. Now, I think the Ravens defense is better now, but I also think C.J. Stroud is better now. And I think this Texans defense is not scared of the big stage. So I've got Nico Collins at number five against the Browns. You don't have him listed five times, do you? I don't. Number four. All right, the Dolphins' defense is not great. No secret there. They are middling in terms of yards allowed. The Dolphins' defense ranks 19th by DVOA, but I think playoff Pat and Travis Kelsey, they're going to put on a show here against the Dolphins. So I have Travis Kelsey at number four. I had to put it four because, let's be honest, the Chiefs have not given us a lot of reason and confidence to want to back them. So I'm going off my priors a little bit and love their head coach. Just hoping that uh, Travis Kelsey finds a way to, you know, have a big game against a Dolphins defense that is not that good. At number three, the Rams. They rank 20th in passing yards allowed per game. They are better at stopping the run than they are the pass. Amon Ross St. Brown. I think they're going to find a way to have some success. Now, obviously, the run game for the Lions is amazing, but that's what the Rams do better defensively. So I think they will be able to focus more on that two-headed monster. It's going to open things up for Amon Ross St. Brown. So I'm hoping against one of the worst pass defenses in the league that he can have a big game. And he did have over 100 yards receiving against the Ravens in late October. Number two, the Eagles' defense, slow and old. Those are two things that you cannot fix overnight, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, you cannot make wholesale changes to your defense, okay? So Baker Mayfield is going to have a day, and so is Mike Evans. The Eagles give up the second most passing yards per game in the NFL, so I'm looking to Mike Evans to have a big game. And number one. Green Bay, they give up a lot of rushing yards. They can't stop the run. 29th most rushing yards allowed per game. They rate 27th in overall defense by DVOA. I had to go with the Cowboys player here, Tony Pollard. You're going to have a big game, mm. so I put you at number wow. one. Nico, Travis Kelsey, Amon Ra, Mike Evans, and Tony Pollard. 
I don't have anyone mashed up there. I, I figure ours would be very we'll different. You have one? Yeah. You, you have one mashed up, Joe? I have one same player. Yep. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, I'll go ahead and go next here. And uh, yeah, let, let's go ahead. Uh, I'll go ahead and go next here. So uh, yeah, completely different guys here. Uh, and I uh, decided to sort of mix and match positions, uh, you know, not just looking at, say, wide receivers and tight ends. Uh, but I also wanted to look at offensive linemen and specifically left tackles, because the quality of your left tackle can matter a lot in terms of your overall offensive success. And that's why at number five, I went with Tyron Smith. We've seen Dak Prescott be a completely different quarterback without his left tackle. And this season alone, Smith has allowed a pressure rate of 6.5%. That is second best among qualifiers behind Teron Armstead. And he's had the benefit of a quick game by his quarterback. Smith is a super veteran with just three penalties on his ledger all season. He plays well. The Cowboys play well. Number four, Denzel Ward defensive back for the Browns. He's the only DB on my list, but there's a reason the league and I both agree he is a pro bowler. Opposing quarterbacks have a passer rating of 49, fifth lowest among qualifiers. He's targeted a lot, and though his interception numbers aren't high, so what? With a coverage success rate of greater than 68%, he makes life miserable for opposing receivers. At number three, C.D. Lamb for the Cowboys. That's where he is. Number three, this guy catches everything thrown his way, leading the league with 18.6 receptions over expected per next-gen stats. No one else has more than 16 in the NFL. Lamb also has at least 10 receptions running six different routes and can be aligned just about anywhere on the field and is still reliable. He's been elite the last couple of games, and yes, I know they've been against weak secondaries, but who the H-E double hockey sticks are we expecting the Cowboys to go up against this Sunday. He will be fantastic. Number two, Miles Garrett. He's the highest graded pass rusher for PFF. While he doesn't have the sacks as other defenders, he does have the fastest average get off time in the league among qualifiers at 0.66 seconds. He's also second in the NFL with 54 quick pressures. He's also in an enviable position because you can't double team him too often because Zadarius Smith exists. Miles Garrett will have his opportunities. And at number one, it is difficult, if not impossible. This might be the toughest game for me to handicap as far as uh, Super Wild Card Weekend. It's the Dolphins and the Chiefs. And one of the big reasons is that Miami does have a lot of individual talent that you simply cannot disregard because of conditions, matchup, et cetera, et cetera. And that's why I have Tyreek Hill number one. Highest PFF grade among everyone this weekend. Who am I to argue after finishing as the receiving leader? Huh? You cannot play zone coverage against him. He's averaging 4.1 yards per route in such situations, nearly one yard better than any other skill player with at least 100 routes run. Also, no one has more catches beyond 10 air yards this season. So even if the Dolphins are trailing, they are capable of making a comeback. So number one, Tyreek Hill, then Miles Garrett, CeeDee Lamb, Denzel Ward, and Tyron Smith. Joe? All right. Very good. I don't uh, have any names, but I probably should have had one. I just ran out of room. I One of your names, I'm like, yeah, they could be number one overall. Uh, mm-hmm. Not where I ended up going. All right. I'm going to start with... Uh, Number five for me is uh, on the Cleveland Browns, and I thought about going Garrett, but I ended up going on the other side of the ball with the Cleveland Browns and the connection that Flacco and David Njoku has uh, got me here. Uh, 
the Texans are awful against the tight end position. If you look at some of the yardage they've given up throughout the year, Colts, they gave up 80 yards to that position. Jaguars, 78. Falcons, 176. Saints, 82. Bucks, 70. Jaguars, the other game, 104 yards to the position. Jets tight ends had 94 yards against them. And Njoku is on fire against good defenses. He had 104 against the Bears. He had 134 against the Jets. He's got four touchdowns with Flacco. So I think Njoku is going to be impactful this weekend. I put him at number five overall. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to go with another Cleveland player. I just I couldn't bump him outside the top five. And I'm also going on offense. Amari Cooper against the Texans. The last mm. game Amari Cooper played was at Houston, and he had two touchdowns and 265 yards. With Flacco, he has 37 targets in the last three games. So I could see both guys being very impactful and having massive games uh, when the Browns go down to Houston and end up winning that game. So I uh, put Amari Cooper number four overall. And here's the one I am aligned with. Aaron on number three, going against Philly. I put Mike Evans. Like It's all lined up against that awful secondary for him to have a monster game. And this is a guy, he always gets, he seems to get overlooked. And he, the level of quarterback play doesn't seem to matter. He puts up numbers no matter who it is. And he just finished the season tied for the league lead in receiving touchdowns with 13 of them. So I could uh, see Mike Evans having a very big day. Put him number three overall. Can't believe I'm doing this, but I'm going running back. And I don't even know if he's playing. But I do know on the field or not, Raheem Mostert matters. If he's not on the field, it's going to be a big loss. If he is, I would think it's going to all run through Mostert running on that Chiefs defense. The guy's a rushing touchdown leader this season. He he was always above expectation. Like the numbers are very impressive all year. If it's Achan, if he's the only guy they got back there, there's a lot of reasons to be concerned. Like you, you need Mostert as a bell cow. So that's going to be big information if Mostert can go or not. And uh, in the last one, I uh, made a pick in the Lions-Rams game. I, Aaron, I did think about Amon Ross St. Brown, but I just I decided to go with a different sort of a matchup. And I'm looking to the trenches. Like Aaron Donald is not going to be held back. Dan Campbell was talking about this. He's like, he's going to be full go. This is the playoffs. And he's right. And in his last game that he played, he had two sacks. He still has it. And then there's Kobe Turner next to him. Yeah, so the in, I'm thinking about the interior of that Lions uh, offensive line. Kobe Turner, nine sacks, 16 quarterback hits, eight TFLs this year. You know, everybody's been talking about him over the last month. So I'm thinking, where do we go? The the, the tackles are going to be fine for the Lions, but the interior is what I'm wondering about. So number one overall, I've got Frank Ragnow as hmm. the biggest, most important player of the weekend. If he has a a great game to help helping out those guards next to him, then uh, they're going to be in a good spot to move on to the divisional round. If, if Donald and Turner are having their way, it's probably going to be really difficult for the lions. And, you know, everybody talks about the Rams offense, but how about that defense and what those guys have done? So number one, I go Ragnow. Number two, Mostert, three, Mike Evans, four, Mari Cooper, five, David Njoku. And that makes a lot of sense because 
we know this about Jared Goff. He needs the play action game, right? He needs mm-hmm. to be able to fake the run, especially with a good run game that they have, make sure all the looks look the same so that mm-hmm. he can throw to those crossing routes to Amon Ross St. Brown. Because if he can't do that and the pressure is just too much, I know Jared Goff's pressure numbers have been pretty good this year, but we got to believe at some point he will wilt, you know, like an old flower what we're calling this secondary for the Eagles, but Jared Goff can wilt like an old flower if he's pressured a little bit too much. If that happens, then absolutely the Rams uh, defense can have a great day and the Rams in general can have a great day. Mm, Aaron Donald's going to be pumped for this one. Uh Going against, it's another old matchup, former teammates. Oh yeah. One thing that stood out to me, I, I mostly looked at just betting from a, prop perspective like who I think you know could have a big game so I stuck to you know mostly players that you can bet on but also when when doing my research I thought about it like can some of these lopsided teams who maybe have a really good defense but um, average offense or vice versa go far in the playoffs or should we look at more balanced teams as well you know in terms of overall success because even when I looked at the Chiefs like they're they're not that lo- they're fairly balanced they're not particularly ranked number one or two in offense or mm-hmm. defense but I'm like maybe I need to think about the Chiefs a little bit more than I have been maybe you know because they're a little bit more balanced and you know, you look at some of these lopsided teams like the Browns or the Dolphins, like, will that come to haunt them, you know, as so, they get deeper into the playoffs? It's an interesting point. Do we think the playoffs are going to play out like the regular season did? If that's the expectation, then I would agree with that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I think in recent years, we're looking at more at the quarterback play above all else. And after the last 18 weeks, I don't think we're doing that. And part of the reason is all the backups that ended up playing, but we're just not seeing those games where these elite quarterbacks are carrying their teams to 30 plus points every single game because the scoring is, is down so much in the league. Mm -hmm. So are we going to revert back to what we've seen? Are these going to continue to be lower scoring games where defense is actually winning games? Something we haven't seen in years until this Mm -hmm. season. Um, If so, if, if it is more like that, yeah, some of these balanced teams, yeah, you might want to, you might want to back them. Or is it something where a team that's maybe top-heavy in terms of offense or defense, that might lead the way? I mean, one of the things that I always do in terms of, you know, this time of year, we are about to approach the playoffs. I'm looking at teams that do something really, really well. Either the offense is elite or the defense is elite. And then I want to look at the other side of the ball. And it's not so much balance. I don't know if that's the right word for me. It's more of, okay, are they at least competent? So the Browns might be a good example. Number one defense. We all agree on that. Can the offense be competent for four games? And I think that's a legitimate question because if Joe Flacco does have a bad game, then they're not competent and they could lose to a good playoff team no matter who it is. Mm-hmm. I think I like that scenario better than a team who is good offensively but can't stop anybody. Like, right. that worries me more. <laughs> sure. Yeah, it, it, yeah, not so much balance, Joe, but just more like be competent across the board and then do something super-duper well. That, to me, is how it works. This yeah. is BetQL Daily presented by BetMGM. Coming up next, today's NBA card and some futures as well. Coming up on the BetQL Network. We'll be right back with BetQL Daily, presented by BetMGM on the BetQL Network.
three-point game. Barnes. RJ behind the back. And they're going to call an offensive foul. They have gotten every call down the stretch. Look, I know, as you mentioned at home, they're the second-best defense. But they have gotten the benefit of the doubt every which way possible. Oh, come on. That's, that's come on. This is BetQL Daily, presented by BetMGM from BetQL. Now I wish I had stayed up late to catch the ending of the Raptors-Lakers game uh, as Los Angeles uh, seemingly got just a ton of calls. We have stats on this, by the way, and we will get to that in just a bit as we go over our NBA card and NBA lessons learned. Welcome back to BetQL Daily, presented by BetMGM. Eddie Gross, Joe Ostrowski, Aaron Hawksworth here with you. We'll get to Lakers-Raptors, I'm sure, in just a bit. But first, let's get into uh, something that could involve uh, an MVP conversation. Joel Embiid of the 76ers has some swelling in his knee. He will be out for tonight's game against the Atlanta Hawks. He missed Saturday's game and the last two days of practice with this very issue. Uh, So, Joe, in terms of Joel Embiid's injury, what are the short-term and long-term consequences, you think? Yeah, when when I see Embiid injury, I wonder, okay, how long? And, okay, here's another game that he's going to be missing. So how long is this going to drag out? Because something you have to keep in mind when placing these sort of wagers is the minimum games played. And the idea was not injuries. The idea was about making sure that guys aren't getting management. You know, okay, you're going to rest here. Oh, I don't know, like Kawhi, uh, rest there, and they want their stars playing. But yeah, like that's that's always a concern with bigs like that. And, and he has the injury history and he's got the win in his pocket. Like, is he going to fall? He's not falling at BetMGM. Like at BetMGM, he's still the second favorite, plus 275. But he is slipping at other spots. I see him uh, going down to four to one, kind of in that third, fourth favorite range. So that is certainly something to be concerned about. That, yeah, the numbers will be there when he's out there. But is he going to be out there? And this this market has uh, taken a lot of twists and turns over the last week with, with all the injuries, um, players that have been popular wagers, but some of the injuries settling in here early January. Yeah, the thing with Embiid is like, can he stay healthy? His numbers could be there. He got his MVP last year. I would personally pass on it, but if you really like Embiid, I mean, I guess you could look for a buy low spot on him if, you know, you seem to get some value. But for me, I'm just going to pass. Mm-hmm. And we kind of forget, like, last year because he won the MVP that all of a sudden he's at a certain tier. But he's had injury problems before. I mean, he's a big guy. Exactly. down Ray. And, you know, this post-up game, like, that's what he's known for. So he's going to get hurt. And the question is, can he reach that minimum threshold? And, yeah, it was only a few years ago when we had an MVP in Giannis who only played 63 games. Last year, Embiid played 66. So while you can miss time and still miss this award, Joe, it's a good point that you have to play at least 65 in order to qualify for this award. And I think what also matters even more than that is how well have the other MVP candidates have handled the rigors of an NBA season? How many games have they played? Well, Nikola Jokic, the favorite at two to one at BetMGM, he's not missing any time at all. He is a man on a mission. I don't know what 
off-season program he was on, if there was even an off-season program, uh, hanging out at uh, his version of the Dude Ranch. But uh, it worked out just fine so far because he's been quite healthy. Luca, SGA, they've played more and managed well uh, than Embiid. Giannis is still a force. And I think, yes, you can miss time because everybody is going to. But if everyone else is relatively healthy and their management workload has been better than yours, then you're naturally going to fall behind compared with everybody else. And so to me, I cannot bet on Joel Embiid for MVP right now, especially with these odds. A lot of these top names, I'm looking at them at and I'm like, and I agree with you on Embiid. Like I would, I would scratch him off right now. And then SGA jumped him. That's the interesting one. Uh, plus 350, some spots have him as a second favorite. Others have him as a third favorite. He's a third favorite over at BetMGM. I, I wonder if he can win this award. Like the, the numbers are there. And if he's going to do that for the entire season, okay, fine. The numbers will be there. But is he going to get enough first place votes going against some of these other names that are up there? Like, what if Embiid is up there the entire year? What if Jokic continues to stay up there? How about Luka? He hasn't taken the Luka fall yet. And Mm -hmm. with the numbers, he should be up there in that top four. Then there's a gap. But where's the gap to? The gap is to Giannis and Tatum, people that get votes every single year. So while I, you know, people are hot on the thunder, they're even exceeding those expectations. He's been a superstar. Man, second favorite. I I wouldn't put him there. No, mm-hmm. I, I could certainly not do that. And those are the long-term consequences as far as how to deal with them. But as far as the short-term consequences, the Sixers do have a game against the Atlanta Hawks. Atlanta's a one-and-a-half-point favorite. So, Hawk, are you going to back the Hawks tonight? <laughs> I think I will. Minus one and a half. This wasn't two and a half. With no Embiid, uh, the Sixers haven't been playing very well without him. I was also thinking maybe the over, because we know the Hawks are a pretty good shooting team, and they won't have Embiid defensively, especially down low. But uh, Hawks minus one and a half, I think, is the play for me tonight. Yeah, that's a good look. Uh, You know... But I find, what I always find interesting, and we saw it last night without Ja, is when you don't have that superstar player, how teams respond. And mm-hmm. a lot of people overreact and the line moves and they go the other way. But I'm always thinking about backing those teams. And they took care of Dallas last night, Memphis did. And we've seen it in other spots. Uh, Philadelphia, and it's, I guess it's similar. You know, it's now a second game out for him. But I'm I'm thinking about uh, those same lines with the Pacers and Halliburton because that's bo- yeah. man. There are some people that had some good Halliburton numbers on MVP tickets too. Throw him in there too. Um, he's now falling down to sixty six to one. It, it's sounding like weeks. It some were suspecting that it would be longer. Maybe it turns into being longer because teams never overestimate injuries. But man the Pacers removing him from that team and the amount of points that they give up on a nightly basis, that that could be a rough stretch for them. And, you know, you think of the Pacers and how great everything's been this year, like slow down a little bit because they are so bunched up in the Eastern Conference. Five, six, and seven seed, they're all like 21 and 15. Like you have a bad week and you're out of the playoff picture in the East, even if you're the Pacers. 
Yeah, one thing I was thinking about with the Pacers is with no Halliburton, like Mathurin and Nemhard will have bigger roles, maybe looking at their props. I was on yeah. uh, the Pacers when they just played the Wizards, and that was the game where Halliburton was injured. <laughs> I think that spread was 11 and a half, and the Wizards end up covering by just a couple points. Uh, but I think this is this is the fifth game of a five game homestand for the Pacers. So I would think that they'd want to get a W before they get on the road and they find a way to rally. This is a bad wizards team. Seven it and a is, half. it is also a seven and a half point spread. And that's the tricky part for me is that mm -hmm. what the Pacers are going to be missing uh, without Halliburton is the assist numbers. He's averaging 12 and a half a game, which is uh, mighty, mighty impressive. So I do wonder if we're going to see more ISO ball from the guys you mentioned. And if that's the case, then sometimes ISO ball sometimes it just doesn't work out. Uh, or, you know, say you get a quick trigger or something like that. Totals 253 and a half. Certainly the Pacers play at a pace and have great, you know, shooters where they can get to that number. But I wonder if the under makes a little bit more sense because if it's just a bad day at the ranch, maybe, you know, those ISO plays don't work as well. The ball movement's not going to be nearly as crisp uh, because Halliburton's not going to be there. Wizards plus seven and a half. Like, I get it as a hold-your-nose kind of a play. I don't know if I want to do it, but maybe the under makes a little bit more sense, just assuming that the ball movement's not going to be as good. Joe, you mentioned uh, if you have a star player getting injured, then that is something where maybe you still want to back the team because the market's overreacting. John Morant, certainly an example of this. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, that's kind of what happened last night against the Mavericks. Yep, for sure. Uh, good point on the total. I, I agree with that on, on the Pacers game. So yeah, you, you have big adjustments to the point spread, but it feels like there's not enough of an adjustment there on that total. Uh, yeah. That, it's, it's an interesting look for that game to see how they respond. Uh, but you're right about Memphis. Now, long-term, does that mean I'm going to do anything? Oh, hell no. Hell, hell no. no. <laughs> Not with Ja and, you know, Stephen Adams talked about, about that yesterday. Like, they're they're in a rough spot. This season's going to end up being a wash for them. So I, I feel mm -hmm. for everyone that, that jumped in. Another situation, got a great number, and now it's dead. It's done. Mm -hmm. Like, Halliburton's done. It's dead. Like, the 66 to 1, like, no. He's probably not going to meet the the requirement of minimum games, which uh, is is always going to be interesting moving forward with these uh, MVP races that we have here. But uh, yeah, I'm not. That could have been a, a one night thing for the Memphis Grizzlies, and a lot of things that we were saying before about this team that things will level off with with the home court, and they're not going to be a team that's ten games under 500 all year at home. Well, maybe they maybe they will now. Mm -hmm. No, I think that's fair. Definitely want to get to uh, last night between the Raptors and the Lakers. Uh, from Opta Stats, in the last four minutes of that game last night, the Lakers had 19 free throw attempts. The Raptors had zero. It's the largest shutout in free throw attempts over the final, final four minutes of regulation since 2010. I know the national pundits love to make fun of the fact that the Lakers seem to get all the calls and all that stuff, but the stats don't lie there. It did seem a bit lopsided. And this matters a lot because the Raptors are playing the second of a back-to-back -back tonight against the Clippers, and mm -hmm. LAC is a massive favorite in this one, Joe. Uh, did you see the Raptors coach after the game? He yep. went off. There's going to be a hefty fine. <laughs> like, yeah, how hefty is that one going to be? 
Uh, he snapped. And I can't say I disagree with anything that he had to say, though. Like, sometimes I, I get agree. tired of, of, of the arguments with the coaches. Like, oh, it's not fair. Like, like there's this idea that it's got to be even. Like, no, it doesn't. But he brought up some, some great points about how they were attacking the rim and not getting any of the calls. And, you know, he brought up giving superstar plays, superstar calls, and they're never going to get that. Like, he went in, and I loved every bit of it. Mm-hmm. I did too, and I like it. He knows there's a fine probably coming, but you got to pick and yeah. choose your battles. And I think he was correct here. Exactly, well, he's he, willing to he pay won that locker room, and yep, he won that locker sure room. Mm-hmm. This is BetQL Daily, presented by BetMGM. Jimmy Patsos and college basketball coming up on the BetQL Network. <laughs> 